So, Love of My Heart, what was the movie that we went to go see? <laughs> so, um, we are starting out our podcast adventure and our uh, quest. <laughs> this is the hard part of doing this non-scripted. I, I have no great lead in. Uh, we went and saw we went and saw Knock at the Cabin. Yes. We went and saw Knock at the I was trying so hard to sound, you know, oh, I've got this scripted out after just saying we're not scripted. And, <laughs> you know, here we go. So, Knock at the Cabin, the latest from... M. Night Shyamalan. Yes, Mr. Shyamalan. Uh, now, okay, I think before we get into the movie, we need to have a little, um, what is your take on M. Night Shyamalan? I am not a fan. <laughs> I am not a fan. Um, I saw The Sixth Sense. I thought, okay, that was kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. I have never, I've, I've seen The Sixth Sense once. I have never seen, never had the desire to see it again. And since then, literally everything he has turned out that I have seen has been some variation on atrocious. Um, several of his <laughs> films have made my worst of list for the years. Split, uh, old. old. Oh my God. Um, what he did to The Last Airbender, um, The Happening, um, mm -hmm. The Arrival, no, not Arrival. That, the Village? The Village, which, The Village was interesting, but it was, yeah. Uh, the one with Mel Gibson and the aliens that choose to invade, but, they, right. but they're allergic to water and no, and this super advanced race didn't think to maybe research the planet that they were about <laughs> to invade to see if poison didn't fall from the sky <laughs> periodically, you know, you know, just... I have just never been a fan of his. I feel like he had one success and that was it for his talent. Now, see, I am kind of the opposite. I saw The Sixth Sense. Um, I somehow went into it and didn't get spoiled on it. And so I got to have the twist ending. And it kind of spurred me into the kind of supernatural psychological thriller horror genre that I really love. You know, that's one of my, that's one of my sweet spots. And so, um, which, and you're not a horror guy to begin with. Eh, no, no, not, not primarily. I don't mind it. I don't mind a good horror movie. I've gotten better over the past couple of years, but right. it's not my go-to genre. It's not right. my genre of choice. But I do love a good horror movie, like psychological horror specifically. And uh, so The Sixth Sense was right up my alley. And I, I liked The Village. I, you know, then they started to go downhill. And so basically since then, I have been trying and trying to find something that M. Night Shyamalan does to redeem <laughs> himself uh, so that I can enjoy uh, his movies again. Um, okay, so this one specifically, Knock at the Cabin, based on a book, um, and the screenplay was written uh, by M. Night Shyamalan and, and two other people. Two other people, um, and they adapted this book, uh, which is, I believe, called The Cabin at the End of the World. Yeah, which, which real quick, I got to say, I like that title yeah, that a lot title. better than mm -hmm. Knock at the Cabin, because the, the title, the, the, I'm going off on a tangent here um the title feels incomplete like i keep wanting to call it knock at the cabin door right you know so it feels like it's a like it's cut off and it really does feel it implies it is more like a strangers type of movie yeah rather than what it really is which is an apocalyptic 
drama, really. Um, or I guess a pre-apocalyptic drama. Yeah. Uh, so uh, to summarize, you want to summarize the, the movie for us a little bit here, my darling? Okay, so the... The film centers around a, a couple who are having a relaxing weekend at the cabin with their daughter when four strangers arrive, take the family hostage, and inform them that they have been selected by some unknown being or power uh, to make the most difficult choice a family can make, and they have to decide that one of them has to die and they, the, the rest of the family has to make the choice and perform the murder in order to prevent the world from ending. Right. And they can't commit suicide. They can't do it themselves. They ha It has to be yeah, one, someone else. Yeah. One member of the family has to kill the other right. in order to prevent the, the supposed apocalypse. And as the film progresses uh there's this back and forth about is this real is this not are these people insane is the world really ending and yeah that's that's the general the general breakdown of the plot right and so the the actors let's talk about the actors here um of course we have dave batista as leonard who is at, would you say the ringleader he's the leader of the of the, the, the four people. Yeah. I think we can go ahead and like, I don't think it's spoiling anything to say that these are a representation of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So I would call like, I would call Leonard the leader of the four horsemen here. Yeah. Um, and then Rupert Grint, of course, uh, Ron, Ron Weasley, Ron Weasley <laughs> is there with a actually really good, interesting turn. Yeah. Um, he did really well. Yeah, he was, yeah. We don't really see a lot of Rupert Grint no, in the world. No, but he does, he does a lot of Shyamalan. <laughs> like, he does. Like, he, like some, one of his shows on Apple TV. Right. He's in, so. You know, I think, um, I think basically Rupert Grint decided that he was just going to do whatever the heck he wanted I mean, um, he's got the money. Right. If you've got the money and you can do that. Like, I've heard he's got, like, an ice cream truck. He does, yeah. I was, at, farm. I was just watching a, a video of him answering questions online, and that was one of them. Do you really own an ice cream truck? And he said, yeah, yeah, I do. So, right. you know, it just seems like a really laid-back guy. Yeah. Uh, and then we've got Abby Quinn and uh, Nikki and Mooka Bird as the other horsemen. Um, and they are uh, very... You want to, like, when they start coming in and they have these weapons, you really want to believe that they're crazy people, but they're really these strong, empathetic characters. So, um, and then, of course, the couple, we have Ben Aldrich, who was just in yeah, I just Spoiler saw, Alert. Yeah, I just you know? saw him in Spoiler Alert with um, Jim Parsons. And I don't know what it is with Ben Aldrich. I guess when you find a, a, uh, niche. a niche, you play it, because this is, like, the second time I've seen him as part of a leading same-sex couple and he's always the jerk part <laughs> like he is always the jerk guy in the relationship you're like god will you just <laughs> take it down a notch calm down dude you know but yeah he was he was yeah he was <laughs> well and then jonathan groff of you know um everybody's sweetheart gay best friend is uh is the other half of the couple. Mm -hmm. uh, I love Jonathan Groff. I love seeing him in things. He was in this great TV show called Mindhunter. 
about the you know beginning of the behavioral analysis unit of the FBI. Just lo love Jonathan Groff. Um, and then their daughter is played by a, a newcomer, Kristen, I want to say Sue. It's spelled C-U-I. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it. I haven't been able to find any anywhere that um, I could hear it. So okay. if you're listening and we mispronounced your name, we're Terribly sorry. Terribly sorry. You know, uh, but, but thanks was, for listening. She was incredibly <laughs> talented. So, um, okay. So that's our, those are our leads. Yeah. So, you know, that there was a few, actually not a No, it was, it was, I mean, any other cast members were like news reporters or things like that. These were the, these were the primary cast. These are the people we spent the majority of the film with. Um, and I think, you know, let's just get right into it. Uh, I think the strength of this film was the, was the performances. I would agree with that. It was definitely, they had, and with one, one major, major standout. And I, to me, this was Batista's movie. Oh, for sure. This was, I would go so far as to say this was his, um, his star turn. Well, see, I would say this was the completion of his star turn. As in, it like you really started to see what Dave Batista could do as an actor in The Glass Onion. And then, like, this is just, like, being such a 180 from that character just really emphasized what he can do as an actor. I, I This film, to me, and I, I said this when we were leaving, is that this film is to Dave Batista what Logan Lucky was to Daniel Craig. Yeah. Where he has a screen persona. We've seen him as Drax, you know, in the Marvel movies and, you know, a couple of other things, smaller pictures here and there that he's gotten a lot of praise for. Um, and yeah, he, he did well in the glass onion, but that was still very close to his. Wrestling to, persona. To, yeah. His wrestling persona or uh, kind of Drax on steroids kind of thing or Drax on cocaine kind of thing. It's Drax if Drax was played by Joe Rogan. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, but this is the film where he is really showing that he is an actor. Right. And a pretty good one. Oh, like by far hands down best actor to come out of the wrestling world. Yes. By, by miles. Like miles. I, I think that Dwayne Johnson has some good qualities and he, he had like, I love a Dwayne Johnson movie. But Dwayne has, Johnson, Dwayne Johnson is a movie star. Right. He has a niche. Yeah. And he's good at it. This is, I mean, Dave Batista is an actor. Yes. He, and yeah. And he, you hang this perform, this movie on his performance and it's the right decision because right. he is spectacular. He, he is. He's this big bulking guy. Like he's huge. Like it's so, you cannot emphasize enough how huge he is. His like, his thighs are tree trunks, you know? <laughs> And he's covered in these tattoos and he's got this close cut haircut and this voice, this deep gravelly voice. And, and he's portraying, he is a teddy bear. Like this character is so gentle and so sweet. Yeah. And like, it, we, we saw this before too. It's like, if you were just making a straight up horror movie, right? you were making a straight up slasher film, you could see him as the monster. You could see him as the killer, the unstoppable, you know, Freddy, Jason, whatever coming after you. And I, this is where we have to give M. Night some directorial 
praise, that image of him is exactly what you want for this movie because you want this, like you say, this big, hulking, scary persona. And then when you actually talk to him, he's not that. He is no, he is a sweet... Catching grasshoppers and talking about empathy and... I mean, he's just the most sweethearted man. And you, he is everything you need him to be. When he needs to be tough and scary, he is that. When he needs to be calm and he's frightening that way, he is that. When he needs to be loving and gentle and caring, he is that. When you feel, I think, more for him in this movie than any other character that there is, you know, and it, there's just such a humanity right in his character well and that's what makes it interesting i think is that you spend the movie thinking these could be very bad guys right you know like they're they're they the horsemen are trying to save the world that is their mission statement they're trying to save the world and if they are right they're the good guys and if they are wrong they are the bad guys and if they don't actually believe in what they're saying then they're the bad guys but you spend this movie not wanting leonard to be the bad guy yeah <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> you just keep hoping something's gonna happen where he gets to be the good guy <laughs> yeah or that he gets to be okay or right or something like or that y'all get to be okay yeah you know really the only one who's a jerk in that situation is the rupert grint yeah character. rupert grint yeah so, okay, and um, what about the other actors? What do you Um This is where things get tricky. This is where we start leaning into criticism. Um I think the other actors do an okay job. Mm -hmm. I think the other actors do a decent job, but they are bogged down by the M nightness. Yeah, we both the movie the... ended and we both looked at each other and had the same thought, which was, I loved everything about this movie, except, except the direction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, like, I, and this is not to say that any, I think the only other person for whom this, this statement is not true is the little girl. Right. She was awesome. Who does an amazing job, uh, mm -hmm. again, for someone with no experience or very little experience. Um, and she and Dave Batista play off each other very well. The entire opening scene is just the two of them. Right. And so she does a, a pretty fantastic job. All the other actors, and again, this is not against the actors. I think the actors did a pretty good job with what they had to work with. But in terms of the writing of it and the directing, they become very Shyamalanized. <laughs> you know, where they become very stereotypical. The dialogue, the, the, the weaknesses in the dialogue become very apparent. Well, and yeah, stuff that sounds sincere coming from Leonard sounds melodramatic and saccharine coming from the other characters yeah. because they're acting more melodramatically, whereas Dave Batista is somehow managing to be more natural. Which is which again you would not think coming from a wrestler, you know, who's you know giving promos, ah, 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 I hate to get my revenge, ah. <laughs> you know, and now it's and now he's just very yeah, very calm and but yeah, he somehow manages to avoid that. But I feel like the rest of them can't help but but just fall into that trap. Well, I would have to like there are some very 
sweet and calm moments. I the the part where Abby Quinn, one of the horsemen, is um, talking to the the little girl as she eats breakfast, and um, and you know there are times when they are talking about their plight and what's going on that they do seem very sincere and they have like tears in their eyes and they're very, you know, they're emoting pretty well. Um, but it does, it, they, it crosses a line to saccharin at some point. Yeah. And I, again, I feel that's just the lack of the ability of the director. And as we know, he's one of the screenwriters. You can, you can pretty much tell when he was writing the script. Right. Like I think the thing that saved this movie was that it was adapted and he had other people reining him in on it. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully. Um, now, as far as the rest of the direction goes, like, I just feel like at this point in his career, M. Night Shyamalan should not still be shooting movies as if he is a film student. Yeah. Like... the fil- it, is, it, is a, it is horribly directed. Like all of the close, the, the ultra, ultra close-up scenes. There is so much, and I, I, I'm sure that there's probably a reason for this. I'm sure he had a justification in his mind, but one of the things that he did uh, so often was when two people are having a conversation, he very rarely shows them in the same shot. Right. It's a close-up of the one person's face, and then a close-up of the other person's face, and it just keeps cutting. Back and forth. You know, I, I made uh, an independent movie with my high school students. And whenever there was a situation where somebody couldn't make it to filming that day, that's what we would do. We'd film, <laughs> we'd film one person talking. And then later, like weeks later, we'd film the other person doing the responses. Right. You know, but that was done at a necessity. Somebody wasn't there. So like, did... Like, did people just not show up for filming that day? And he, like, he had to, like, keep uh, keep switching things around? I don't get it. I don't know what what all that was. Um, I do, yeah, I do think it, it hampered some things. Like, um, not letting the, uh, the relationship, not really letting us see the bond in the marriage of, you know, Jonathan Groff and Ben Aldrich like you don't really get a chance to see them interacting in a way that they're falling in love. You know, the concept is that they're chosen for this because of their, their family's great love. Right. But you don't really get to see that grow. You see why the Jonathan Groff character is, is chosen. He's got a really kind of pure love, but you don't see that with the Ben Aldrich. There's a, the thing about it is, that at just about every turn with this film, there are opportunities. You can see what they were going for. And it's interesting what they were going for. For example, the idea of the end of the world, the fate of humanity resting in the hands of a same-sex couple, a couple that would have reason to not have a lot of love for humanity. True. You know, or the, the current the current status quo. So why... and uh, like I said, the Ben Aldrich character makes that point. Why should we raise our hands to help to save the world when the world has basically condemned us? Right. You know, so that's an interesting thing to look at. It's interesting to see the two characters in terms of, like I say, uh, the Jared Groff character is much more sympathetic. Jonathan. Jonathan Groff. See, this is this is, this is her thing. She knows all these people's <laughs> names. I'm the worst one with names. 
Whereas, you know, Ben Aldridge, um, he's had, he had, he had problems coming out to his parents. He got beat up in a bar, right. you know, there are all these things that you understand that color his worldview, but they are handled in such a, again, a melodramatic broad stroke kind of thing. Right. And I think that is the problem. With a lot of this, it's in the broad strokes. M. Night Shyamalan paints in broad strokes. He does not have the discipline to do things with subtlety. Let me ask you this question. Did you ever believe in the course of this film that the world was not coming to an end? No, I wanted... There wasn't enough tension built that you you could believe that they were making it all up or it was some kind of scam or some kind of, of delusion, shared delusion. Um, since it was M night Shyamalan, you always figured it was worst case scenario. Yeah. And that's, that's the problem. This film would have been spectacular mm -hmm. in the hands of a director with a much more subtle touch. And it's, it's ironic we were talking about, you know, the very first drive home review on YouTube was 10, Cloverfield. 10 Cloverfield Lane. And all through this movie, I thought Dan Trachtenberg, who directed that movie, he just directed Prey this past year. He has a much more subtle touch. Right. And could have done some great things. And you really could have been, as an audience, could have been so tense going, is this real? Is this BS? Are these people crazy? Are they telling the truth? And you could have really built the tension up, but he he does not have that discipline. Well, you know, I'm always going to say that any horror movie should be directed by Jordan Peele. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> I think Jordan Peele could have done a pretty good job. Um, too. <laughs> I don't know. You know, the, uh, and that that's not to disgrace Jordan Peele because Jordan Peele is a is a fantastic director and storyteller. I just I've never seen him do a film uh, a one room. Right. Kind of film. I know he needs to do he, it now. he has a he has a he he likes to use a much more sprawling canvas. Although Nope was almost like it's a one field kind of. It's a film. one town kind yeah. of film, but not one a group of people trapped in one room. Right. You know, like this one. All right. So, any other thoughts? And do you oh, have enough thoughts? I. So overall, do you feel like you were disappointed? Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I have to add that I haven't said already. And I don't think, I don't think there is, I think everything that there is to say, that's well, that's one of my downfalls is I do tend to repeat myself a lot. I don't think there's much more to say. So, I think, <laughs> um, so uh, what we do, what we've done, and I, I think if you're good with this, I would like, to, I think this is a great way to kind of uh, keep it up. Uh, our grading system, because every critic, critic needs some kind of grading system. Right. Uh, we both have education backgrounds. Right. Um, so we always went with final grade. And I like I like the final grade, not just because of our teaching background, because it, there's such a wide range. Right. It's not just this was good or this was bad. Thumbs up, thumbs down. There's a there there's a there's there's, there's a so many thumbs. there's a scale. You know, so um, for those who are new to us, that is how we we choose to kind of give our final thoughts and um, and final rating of the movie. So I will turn it over to you, my love. Uh, what is your final grade for Knock at the Cabin? 
you know, this one was kind of difficult to judge um, because I think it does have a lot of good points. But like you said, you never had enough tension built to wonder if they were crazy or if the apocalypse was actually happening. Um, and like, I can only take so many, what are they called when they're tilted? They're oh, only... Dutch, Dutch angles. Thank you for yes. reminding me of that. I'll talk about that in a second. Thank you. I can you. only take so many Dutch angles before it starts to give me a migraine. <laughs> um, but I, I'm going to have to say a B minus, um, which considering the last M. Night Shyamalan movie we saw, I gave it an F. Yeah, same. Uh, but uh, I think that the acting in this, the character work in this uh, brings it up. Um, so yeah, B minus. Um, yeah, thank you for reminding me of the Dutch angles. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh I, you know what? I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get into it. I'll just say that, you know, those that angle became famous for use during the the Batman, the Adam West Batman show. But at least there, they had a reason for using it. I don't right. think there was a reason. But anyway, um, all right. So mine, um, I am actually going to be a little harsher. Surprise, surprise. Than you are. <laughs> Just, you know, originally, I thought I was going to be nicer, but this is one of the reasons why you know the spur of the moment ratings can have their downside. Um, originally I thought I was going to be nicer to this film, but I just don't think I can, uh, but I, I'm going to be kind of generous and I'm going to say a C plus. Okay. Um, and that C is almost completely on the back of the performance of Dave Batista. Mm -hmm. I believe that was one of, I mean, it's only January, but that was a fantastic performance. It's a lot. It solidifies him as a real player in Hollywood that this guy is not just a comic relief that he can do a lot of things and with smart direction and good scripts, he can be a real impact player. Um, do I think he'll ever be up there accepting an Academy Award? I don't know. But this film is definitely uh, a strong argument for it. Everything else about this film, anything else about this film that I thought was good, there's always an asterisk right next to it going, but. And when there's that many, I have to drop the grade down. Um, I don't what really aggravates me about this movie is that this is very uh, conducive, or not conducive, this is very typical of M. Night Shyamalan's directing career. He makes crappy movies, then he makes one movie that is barely not crappy, that everybody goes, oh my god, he's back! Yeah. And then every, for some reason there's like this mass delusion that he's actually talented. And then he releases another old, and you we're know, right back where we started. Maybe we are all living in M. Night Shyamalan's simulation experiment. Maybe. I mean, and I can't think of another reason. He keeps getting work. Also, it's February, not January. Oh, it is, isn't it? Wow. Uh -huh. Okay. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, uh, but, January yeah. flew by for us. Yeah. Uh, but anyway. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I... Not as disappointed as I was. I want to see Dave Bautista in a million more movies. Yep. Uh, I love you, Jonathan Groff, um, and fully support your career. And uh, other than that, I'm glad I'm not one of the horsemen. Yeah, me too. That was that one more thing before we wrap up. Um, so that was something that confused me. Okay. So they, they were the four horsemen, but not... Right. The Four Horsemen, War, Death, Pestilence, and Plague. 
No, that they were standing in for the four aspects of humanity, but I don't know why, what, um, you know, I've studied a lot of religions and, and a lot of history. I'm not entirely sure what spectrum that they were getting this four aspects of humanity from. There was uh, malice, healing, guidance, and one more, caring. Uh, nurturing. Nurturing. I think. Yes, nurturing. So I'm not. Yeah. So that was another, that was a thing that was really weird. I don't know where that came from or if they are were representing the uh the aspects of humanity then that's what they should have said in the movie they represent and not they're the four horsemen because that's right. that's well, a i don't different... think they ever say they're the four they horsemen. do do they yeah the right there at the end oh uh groff says it he says they're because he lays it out and lists out their character and says they're the four horsemen it's like right. that's not but for every you know short term you know you well, know, yeah, the biblical are, four horsemen. Are, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so that so that's another thing. So anyway, so there we go. All right. So uh, anything else? I think that's about all it. All right. So uh, thank you all for joining us. Thank you for coming along with us, and uh, we hope you enjoyed this. We're gonna keep doing it. We'll get a we'll get a formula down. We'll be right. we'll be a little bit better at this going forward. Uh, but thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, drive safe, and we'll see you at the movies. Hi, this is Rebecca. And this is Brandon. We are a couple of theater nerds who love movies and love talking about movies. So join us on our drive home as we review the movies we have just watched. And that we will inevitably disagree on. So this is the Drive Home Review Podcast. So this is our first podcast. We're going to do a little introductions uh, of ourselves. Um, I am Rebecca and my partner here is Brandon. That's me. Uh, we are partners in podcast and partners in life. Mm -hmm. And uh, my handsome, loving boyfriend here started the Drive Home Review podcast in 2016, so seven years ago now. Yeah, yeah, it's been a, yeah, it's been a, literally a long ride. So let's talk about that process. How did you get started? What was the impetus for this? Uh. Well, there's, there's a lot of things that went into it. Uh, I've always loved movies and always loved talking about movies. I'm a theater nerd. I, uh, I'm an, an actor, director, playwright. So I always have a lot of opinions about movies. And back in... <laughs> that is an understatement. <laughs> uh, and back in 2016, uh, that was when like the YouTube movie reviewer format was just... It was booming. And you had people like the Nostalgia Critic and... Brad Jones Movie and Bob. Movie Bob, Todd in the Shadows, mm -hmm. uh, Lindsay Ellis. And I was a big fan of all of them. And uh, my best friend and I had actually always wanted to do uh, a movie review show. And at the time, uh, so this is about mid-2016, uh, I was unemployed. I was single, you know, living alone in my apartment and just, uh, we were on spring break at the time I was teaching homeschool classes so I was like one day a week and, you know, just kind of feeling just very morose and just needed to do something. And I finally decided I, I want to do this. And so I did. So I went to the movies uh, and the very first drive home review was a uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Right. <laughs> and I, I just took my laptop. I knew nothing about how to do any of this. And 
watched the movie, came out, set my laptop up on the seat next to me, turned the camera on, hit record, and reviewed the movie as I drove home, hence the name Drive Home Reviews. And uh, it just kind of branched out from there. And again, that was back in 2016. Um, so, Do you know how many you've done? Oh, my God, no. Like, at least 60-some per year. Right. And that's not including editorials. You know, during the lockdown, of course, uh, we had to do some other things. So I did like Forgotten Gems, where I talked about whatever movies I had on my DVD wall, uh, Series the Series, Drive Home Reviews meets Abbott and Costello. So, you know, uh, it really became a huge part of my life and a huge part of my personality uh, because that was what I did for fun. That was my my stress reliever. Go to the movies and talk about them on the drive home. So, right. so that became, it just became something I loved to do and just had a great deal of fun doing. And over the course of that period, I had a couple of friends of mine who did co-hosting duties, uh, most notably our, our mutual friend, Lindley, yes. uh, did a bunch of them. And then um, during the pandemic, that was when you and I... Yeah, we reconnected during the pandemic and I was in the process of a divorce and uh, I mean, the pandemic was happening. And so, you know, we had a lot of stress going on. Mm -hmm. And so I started watching these. We've known each other for almost 20 years. Yep. Um, we met when I had, I was going to theater school and you had just graduated from theater school, but we're still yeah. hanging around. Yeah. So being <laughs> king of the theater school. <laughs> And uh, uh, we met in the costume shop, actually, while, yeah. while you were in 1776, and I was a newbie, so I was sewing buttons on, on coats for 1776. Yeah. Um, so so then, obviously, our relationship started, uh, you know, our, our romantic relationship, and then you kind of became the primary uh, co-host whenever we would visit each other, or we would... Yeah, at that point, we were living about a thousand miles away from each other. Yeah. So we would visit uh, on spring breaks or in the summertime or, mm -hmm. you know, at Christmas time. And we would always try to at least see one movie yeah. and do a review together. Yeah. And uh, because one of the things that drew us together romantically is uh, our our love of viewing and talking about various forms of performance art, movies, TV shows, plays, uh, so that was kind of a natural point of connection for us. And so you kind of became, and, uh, our opinion, our tastes are similar enough that we can enjoy some of the same things and different enough that we, we can have interesting and spirited debates <laughs> about certain things. So, um, so long story short, which is kind of uh, a weird statement, uh, when the move finally happened and I moved from Tennessee down here to Iowa to, so that you and I could, you know, really start our life together, the conversation was had and decided that, you know, what we wanted to do with drive home reviews and what the next step for it. I loved being on YouTube. Uh, I still love being on YouTube, but it was not the best format for what I was doing. Uh, you know, again, it, it was just me driving and there was nothing else. I didn't intersperse cut to the movie 
or anything like that. In recent years, I started, you know, splicing in little sound bites from Family Guy and American Dad and Mystery Science Theater and things like that. But I mean, virtually it was just me driving around and talking. And, you know, I started to win little stuffed animals out of the claw machine. I used to put them on the passenger seat next to me. You know, so it was not a very visually interesting. Right. And on top of that, now that we live in a very small town, the drive home from the movie theater is only going to take about half a minute. Well, that did, that never bothered me. <laughs> that never bothered me because, like, I drove around in circles. Yeah. Like, the, the movie theater where I was living at the time was literally down the street. It took me 15 minutes to get home. And I'm so long-winded. I thought, at first I thought, oh, great. You know, this means I'll, I'll do a really succinct wrap-up of the movie. It's like, no, I started driving around for, like, 20, 30 minutes to get everything I had to say out. Um, but anyway, so the decision, we, we kind of decided that um, we wanted to give this a step. We wanted to give this a chance and take it from the YouTube platform to a to a podcast. Yes, I am a podcast junkie. Yes. Like, absolute. Like, I, that is what I, I don't really listen to music. That is what I listen to when I'm getting ready in the morning, when I'm driving my commute, you know, when I'm cleaning the kitchen, I listen to podcasts. And so I kind of encouraged him to look into this option yeah so uh, so that's what we're doing here we are uh we are taking that next step and seeing how this platform works for for us and what we want to do um we'll, i'll probably still do some independent editorials and things for youtube you know some of these might find their way on there to get some advertising but we want to see how this works as a as a podcast right and it's what works for our family at this point in time. Um, now, yeah. this is still, we're, we're maintaining the integrity of Brandon's original vision in that we are doing this off the cuff. We have a little bit of a guideline for what, yeah. what we want to say at the beginning, like in a section like this, but the reviewing aspect of it. Yeah, so the basically when I, when I started and as we've kind of gone into this uh, iteration of it, there are two major underlying, I guess you call them mission statements that we try to follow. And number one is that, yeah, this is the goal. This is, this is off the cuff, right? These are our immediate, um, reactions. Yeah. Immediate reactions to the films that we have just seen sometimes depending on scheduling, maybe there's a day in between, but we're going to try to get these done as soon as we see the movie or as close to it. Cause we want to keep that kind of raw emotion. We're not really planning anything out. We haven't, which you know, when I was doing it on YouTube was a good thing and a bad thing, <laughs> you know, it had, it, it had its ups and downs A gut reaction can be good, but it can also, you know, upon reflection, you can kind of go, well, maybe that wasn't as bad as I, as I jumped, as I said, you know, so, um, so we're going to try to keep these still very spontaneous, uh, spontaneous off the cuff. Just what we're thinking and feeling in that in that moment about that movie. The other thing, uh, the other mission statement that we like to try to adhere to is, of course, we're going to go see the big things. Right. You know, those are those are the bread and butter. You know, everybody's going to have their take on the next Marvel movie or the, uh, you know, when DC starts up again. Everyone, you know, the big movies that everybody sees. Of course, we're going to see. But one of the things that uh, I really loved doing with the with the the original incarnation and 
one of the things that I feel is very has been beneficial to me is that having to try to see a movie a week right. means that you're going to sometimes see the things that nobody has really heard of. Right. And that nobody has really been talking about and that there haven't been a lot of reviews for. And I have found that to be the most rewarding aspect of doing these is because I've seen movies that I might have otherwise completely ignored or missed. And I have found some really wonderful, outstanding films. You've also found some real stinkers. And and you find some, you find some real crappy films. Now I will say one of the movies that you have gotten the most audience interaction on was one that you do not like very much. No. But, uh, that, <laughs> that you have gotten some definite interaction with the fans. Yeah. Um, we had a, like, okay, like, but my videos were not that popular. <laughs> Maybe 20 views. I had a couple of dedicated viewers. You yeah. were one of them. My mother, <laughs> uh, one of my students, and one of the the last co-host, uh, uh, Blake, who was one of my one of my students and did one of the last ones with me. Um, he was a dedicated viewer, um, but for the most part, it was a fairly small audience. <laughs> um, a couple of them did do fairly well. My review of the Spinning Man got over a thousand. Um, a couple of the Abbott and Costello ones I did, I, I reviewed the entire Abbott and Costello filmography. Right. Um, that, that got a couple, but, um, the one that this past year got the most was a film called Love and Kearney, <laughs> which, which I completely <laughs> bashed because I hated it. And man, oh man, did the fans of that movie come <laughs> at me. Oh my Lord. I did not know that Love and Kearney had. A rabid fan base. A rabid fan base. Oh my, I thought Star Wars fans were toxic. Jeez, these people can. They insulted everything about me in my review. That's okay. So you need to have a passion. That's right. You know, um, but anyway, so the, the goal of this is to do what we do. We love going to the movies. That's our favorite date night. We love talking about movies and we're just going to ramble about movies and hopefully you will enjoy our takes on them or just our witty back and forth our witty banter as oh, it were we are super adorable we are we're very cute <laughs> we're a very cute couple so so yeah that's that's kind of the an abbreviated history of drive more I'll, I'll, abbreviated 12 yeah. minute long abbreviated i'll throw history. in before we move on uh let me just i'll throw this in uh if you if you in listening to this you like what you're hearing of course always please subscribe we're looking to do that. But if you want to find the back catalog, it's all still there on YouTube. Uh, reviews, best, you know, end of the year lists, editorials. You know, there's a there's a library of reviews there. So if you like what you hear. There's you want an to... Alexandria library. Yeah, there is an <laughs> Alexandria library. So if you like what you hear and you want to check out some of the some of the back catalog, uh, go check those out. But that's that's the past. We want to look forward to the future. All right. Let's get into our first review.